0: When you think about business competition, where are you focused? Your town? Your state? Across the country? You need to be concerned with competitors around the world. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today, you'll hear about the mega trends in global business and how they affect your organization, as well as explore issues, solutions, and some amazing facts about business worldwide. Now, here is your host, Mahesh Joshi.
1: Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have my guest today, Sebastian, and uh, he's going to address a very important issue which the whole world is facing, the Russia-Ukraine conflict, and what is the impact of it on the financial markets. Let's look back when the conflict started in the uh, month of February. The indices took major dive, but they came back immediately. But in the first week of March, again, major drop. And then they started recovering. It impacted almost all the financial markets. If you look at the equity markets, DAX, CSE, Nikkei, Nasdaq, Dow, Hansang, CSE, FDSE, all of them got impacted. Now, normally, the, the, the equity markets would look at consumer spending, earnings, interest rate, economic data, inflation, etc. As it is, the economy was getting impacted by high inflation rate, the global economy, in the first quarter of the year. And it was showing its impact on the financial markets. Now, if you look at what the geopolitical upheaval of this magnitude did, now. Financial markets have conventionally been one of the most globalized areas. And this geopolitical conflict immediately impacted it beyond many other factors which impact the financial markets. But if this conflict intensifies, this change will have implication for the long-term evolution of global financial capital markets. It may just change the structure, the way the deals get done. We will discuss with our eminent guest Sebastian today, what's the impact of uh, uh, refraining Russia to access SWIFT? How does it impact the six hundred billion foreign exchange reserve Russia has built? What happens to commodity prices? The wheat, basic thing, in the commodities, and then we have energy. They have all seen major jump when this conflict started. Now, these kind of geopolitical, uh, I would say, conflict or issues have not happened for the first time. It has happened. There was 9-11 happened in USA. Uh, There was uh, Iraqi invasion of Kuwait and uh, the fall of uh, Berlin Wall. Uh, Many such things have happened. And the empirical evidence uh, gives us a view that the minimum equity losses in prior to geopolitical events have been About, in in, in prior geopolitical events, I mean about 2% on the low side. And that's the minimum equity losses. And the highest has been just over 20%. However, the median loss has been about 10% with positive outcomes 12 months afterwards. That's the median of it. So overall, the economy has come out stronger. But what is so different this time? This time it looked like looks like, although the conflict is between Russia and Ukraine, but can it create some parallel trading partners, which are not woven into the global thread? So the whole global tapestry includes a SWIFT system, which facilitates trade amongst all the players. What will happen now if Russia decides to have a separate system? And since it's forced not to use the Swift system and some other economy support. What happens on the uh, on the sanctions which has been put on Russia and Russia response in terms of energy supply to some of uh, the developed world and many other pieces where it is supplying commodities? It has profound impact. So all of this we will discuss that what's the probable future of the financial markets with the various scenarios opening up in future with Ukraine and Russia conflict. I have with me Sebastian today, he is an investment professional with LGT and worked previously as a capital market researcher with Rafi Bank International and as director in the investment office of UBS. He was educated at Vienna University of Economics and Business, the London School of Economics and the University of Oxford. Sebastian has a strong interest in asset pricing, development finance, inclusive globalization, and sustainable economic growth. He has also recently published his book, which is titled, Predictability of Financial Crisis. The impact of fundamental policy-induced and institutional vulnerabilities, vulnerabilities on China compared to other emerging markets. Hi, Sebastian. Welcome. Hi, Maj. Hey, Sebastian. Uh, very interesting topic today. We have a discussion. <laughs> uh, the impact of uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict on the financial markets. Well, this is a subject which everybody watches very carefully, where the investments go in and the markets have been going down initially when the news came in and then suddenly changed to a little bit better position. Some of the global markets have recovered. Some have not yet. And uh, some have even come to the situation which was before the conflict happened. Just to give a perspective uh, that the global capital markets, what did they experience? The initial plunge of 24th of Feb was not that too bad, because it rebounded on the second trading day, which was February 25. Uh But if you look at all the major indexes, RTS, Dow Jones, NASDAQ, FTSE, CSE, and German DAX, and and Hansen, and Nikkei, and all that, there was a unique phenomenon around 7th or 8th of March. Again, it took a dip, which was much bigger dip than uh, what happened on 24th and 25th of February. And since then, most of the markets have recovered. Now, there are a lot of factors which influence it, and uh, we will gain a lot, uh, our listeners and myself, with your perspective on, you know, what could be the short-term and long-term impact on financial markets.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, uh, we saw an initial plunge in the the market, as you said. I mean, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is like a systematic shock. So it influences all equity indexes globally. And then there was an assessment how much really um, Ukraine and Russia um, do account in terms of global GDP, do account in terms of trade, account in terms of financial inclusion as well as with respect to energy. And I believe that um, as soon as the market decided that the conflict is kind of contained, that it's, uh, it's a very bad thing to say that Ukraine's importance in terms of financial as well as trade linkages to the world is not not as significant as you might think, then the market started to recover. Ukraine has a high importance in terms of politics, in terms of geopolitics, but in terms of financial markets, it's a bit questionable, the importance. And that's why I believe that the market very quickly recovered.
1: Yes, you're right. And and if you look at it, Sebastian,
0: uh,
1: is it mindset? Because we are coming out of two years of COVID crisis. So we have seen a horrible situation affecting the whole humanity, across the globe, impacting every country, impacting every financial market. Suppose there was a situation that there was no COVID and this thing would have happened in Ukraine. maybe the impact would have been maybe much larger, or maybe longer lasting. But right now the market has already seen a huge impact on the big crisis created by COVID. That could be, that is not the only reason that could be one major one. And again, as you rightly said, it's not a major player in financial markets, but in terms of the the whole conflict triggering the resetting of geopolitical equations that can have repercussions on the financial markets, but definitely the global investment decisions and the capital flows—they uh, are getting impacted by the geopolitical conflict. And there is a pattern there. And now the question is for the world: Will it be gradual? Would it be gradual and profound, or will it be one time which we have seen, and uh, nothing much beyond that? You know, and. Uh, or, or, or could be the global financial markets have become resilient and they, they adjust to these kind of shocks. Yeah. Well, one thing is there, uh, which is appearing from the financial markets and many other things, that Russia, which started the action in this conflict, probably will be hit hardest. Now, the question which is in everybody's mind, so let's say for example, Russia wins an overwhelming military victory. Let's assume that, overwhelming. What happens next? Because you, this is one end of the spectrum. The Ukraine would still be unstable. It cannot stabilize real quick. The instability may get prolonged, right? And that may have impact on the financial markets.
0: I fully agree. I mean the most impacted are the nations themselves. It's Russia, which leads this war of aggression. I mean, it will face a major reorientation of its trade and financial linkages. And of course, the direct impact on Ukraine is devastating. It's really terrible. Um, There are billions of of lost, lost property, millions. I mean, it's very bad um who will i mean who will be victorious in this conflict i don't know it's very hard to say it's it's geopolitics it's very hard to predict and um what is important i believe for the market is that the conflict is contained that not other nations get drawn into the conflict militarily i mean there was big discussion whether there should be a no-fly zone over Ukraine enforced by NATO. NATO decided that it's uh, a no because it would be a direct a direct involvement of NATO into the Russian-Ukrainian war. So I think the containment of the conflict is the most important topic for, for uh, financial markets. Um what is also interesting is, I mean, that the main transmission mechanism so far is commodity prices. Um, we see a spike in energy prices. We see a spike in food prices. These transmissions are felt globally. And, and yes, they have an actual impact. When we speak about markets, it's not only equity markets. It's also the bond side. So inflation is hitting the bond markets hard. So we see an impact, not only on the equity side, but also on the fixed income side.
1: That's a a very good point you you mentioned, Sebastian. The containment and the impact on not only equity market and bond market and inflation has been already impacting the financial market before the Russia-Ukraine conflict started. It was already impacting the financial markets and every country was worried about it. Now, till now, the way the conflict has gone, as you gave a very good example of um, not making a a no-fly zone, the containment has been quite successful. So the engagement of other economies directly is not seen. And that's probably one of the reasons that the financial markets in most of the countries have come back. Yes, definitely the energy prices have gone up. Inflation has gone up. There has been an impact on the other commodities and grains which come from these two nations. But there is a positive ray of hope uh, which is for, through the containment part of it. God forbid, if it it would have if it spills out or it would have that could have been a major catastrophe but definitely the financial market would be worried about such a situation that if something happens like that what would happen to financial markets that could be pretty tough now one of the instruments which has been in play in most of the sanctions has been swept. And which we have seen uh, in the past, it has been used in sanctions against Iran and against many countries. And that plays a role in such situations in containing one's capability. Uh, I would say not the existing capability, Retaining or building more capability in the future to support a long-term conflict because it kind of restrains you from transactions from the rest of the world. And as we live in a very globally connected world, and we are uh, probably, you can say, in, in, in quite advanced stage of globalization where supply chains are so interlinked. And if the SWIFT sanctions are put in place, your capability to pursue your initiative there, it gets severe, severely impacted. Now, what you're going to do is uh, we will uh, take a short break and we'll start the next segment, segment two. bit talking about how SWIFT can be leveraged in this case and what other factors are coming into play. So let's take a short break and we'll continue after the break. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Uh, We are having very interesting discussions with Sebastian today about the impact of Russia-Ukraine conflict on financial markets. We are into our segment two. In segment one, we had very interesting discussion at the, towards the end of segment one. We are talking about how effective is SWIFT uh, in limiting one's capability in such kind of conflict. And you all see here uh, that NATO nations are supporting with help to Ukraine, whereas sanctions have been put in place against Russia. And more importantly, limiting the capability to leverage the $600 billion reserve which Russia has uh, by limiting the access to SWIFT. They cannot transact through that. What do you think, Sebastian? How does the SWIFT work and how much impact it can have uh, on, on Russian economy and in turn on the global financial markets?
0: Yeah, I mean... Excluding Russia from the SWIFT would be a really big step. I mean, it's usually the West should try to bring Russia in the Western system, into the institutions. But by threatening Russia to be excluded from the SWIFT system, we actually might encourage them to develop an own area, an own payment system area. And... So far, people think that something like a Eurasian block, something including maybe China, including some, some other nations, the Stan nations um, in this payment block is an exaggeration, but it's a real threat. When we trigger the swift bomb, so to say, uh, it's very likely that Russia will reorientate all its flow to the east.
1: That's a, that's a very, very uh, profound statement you made. That yes, the world is using SWIFT against Russia without getting into any other kind of conflict during the sanctions to limit Russia's capability to trade or uh, themselves and, and, and impact the economy. But that can be a very dangerous situation. If Russia decides to develop their own system and some of the large economies like China or somebody else comes into it, uh, into transactions on that basis, <clears throat> that can again create a polarization in the world that probably will impact the basic um, thread of globalization if you start having two parallel systems of financial transactions, how easy or impactful, uh, Sebastian, could be a parallel uh, to SWIFT system? Is it doable, easily?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, so far it's the question, question is, it's boring. I mean, I don't know for sure, but it's probably not very easy. But with the help of China, it's very likely doable that they, that they form their own payment block. Um, yeah.
1: Because it is more like what we used to have, even if before they go into that mode, they can always do a little bit of barter system on the commodity basis with some of their trading partners. But suppose the SWIFT system Russia tried to ignore and set it up with, I'm just creating a hypothetical situation that if Russia and China in particular, two of them, uh, and there are some other small nations would join and there's a parallel currency, uh, the parallel system, let's say in financial markets, how would it work? Because it's a very polarized system then. And then either the SWIFT system has to talk to them to reconnect when everything settled down over a long period our world has gone into two different zones, right? And it will have profound impact on financial markets because the financial markets may not be able to talk based on what system you're using and the banking with each other for funds transfer. Do you see that as a major issue?
0: Yeah, yeah it's a very risky one. But with what is also very closely connected, as you mentioned, is the commodity trade. I mean, the reorientation of trade flows from Russia to more, more to the East is, is very likely to happen. And so far, the whole commodity trade is accounted for in dollar. And the question is whether a new trading block in the East will actually accelerate the de-dollarization of the global system. So far, the dollar dominates the international financial users uh, also FX reserves are most often denominated in dollar, as we know which now went severely against Russia as they are not able to use their reserves anymore trade invoicing international debt all is denominated in dollar so the question is now whether this conflict this war of aggression of Russia against Ukraine um, and the uh, the imposed sanctions by the West will will lead to a kind of a new trading a new trading block, a new currency union, maybe a new new standard.
1: That's true, because because till now if you look at it, US doesn't have much to lose from some of these geopolitical conflicts. <clears throat> Uh, and in fact in 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 this crisis maybe much of capital may be withdrawn from europe and it may uh, we may expect it to flow back towards us and and that will be beneficial to what you can call it as a relatively stable us capital markets but if the swift system gets challenged by a parallel system and by any chance, de-dollarization happens. It may have a severe impact on dollar as a currency. And it may, because of worry for the U.S. financial markets, or U.S. capital markets, that they may lose that leverage of dollar being the most strongest currency in the world.
0: Absolutely. I would use the
1: word most strongest, but kind of the currency in which everybody deals.
0: I agree. I mean, um, as you mentioned, I mean, the US has very stable, strong capital markets. They're very mature, which kind of backs up the strengths of the US dollar. We shouldn't underestimate the fact, for example, if you hold FX reserves in dollar, you're able to liquidate your, res- your asset holdings very quickly and then use the currency. In case you would have, you know, FX reserves in Chinese renminbi, for example, capital markets are immature there in China. So it might be not so easy to liquidate your your assets in renminbi, which can lead lead to problems. FX reserves need to be liquid. So I see that the dollar, I mean, the dollar is, is there for a good reason it dominates the global system. And it's very unlikely that in the short term, for example, that the Chinese renminbi, which is not fully convertible yet, or I mean the Russian ruble, it's, there's no way that those currencies um, yeah, can actually get, get rid of the dollar. hmm
1: that's very true. I agree with you, with the, with the maturity of the financial markets. The only thing is any, any, any such attempt to create a new uh, parallel to Swift system will create an uncertainty and can give um, a, a shock to the system. But it may not be long term, but at least it, it will uh, show that somebody can challenge the the global standard system with something else of their own. You know now if you look at it one is the impact of the trading mechanism or rather the financial transaction through swift understood now this is something we we see day in and day out that how transaction how it, it has been used in sanctions earlier but another major impact which the world is seeing and which can directly impact uh, the world capital markets and financial markets are two factors which you mentioned earlier in the segment one is energy and commodities and third is food because Russia, Ukraine put together You know they play a major role and the first reaction to energy was that in Europe the natural gas prices soared almost 40 percent. And uh, if you look at the, the precious metals, let's take example of palladium, right, uh, which is used predominantly in U.S. semiconductor industry and which is imported from Russia, it, show, it's, it's, it showed almost one-third increase in price. And uh, <clears throat> We, the whole world is already going through the chip shortage. And, and the US, as one of the largest economies, was already facing the issues. And suppose Russia decides to stop supplying palladium, the chip shortage can really get exaggerated. It will be quite exacerbated. Now, also, another element which normally doesn't get highlighted. But uh, another element which gets used in the U.S. semiconductor industry, which was or which is predominantly imported uh, is from Ukraine, it's called Neon. And 90% of that comes from Ukraine. And if you look at it, semiconductors have become part of almost anything and everything we use nowadays in our life because we are living life which is going very fast towards artificial intelligence, machine intelligence, everything is getting automated. And uh, semiconductor, a very important part of it. Now, this can have direct impact on industries. And the industries, if they cannot pass on the price increase here, that can impact their earnings, even short-term and long-term. And that can start hurting them in financial markets, or rather in capital markets, their valuation, all through their earnings, it can start impacting them. What we will do, Sebastian, is we will continue our discussion on this aspect, energy, commodity, those pressure metals, in our segment three. Welcome back. Uh, we are in our segment three, interesting discussions. Um, I opened it with uh, Sebastian on impact of Russia-Ukraine conflict on financial markets. Sebastian, we talked about various s- subjects in, in last two segments. Let's focus now and let's take your advice on what is the impact of this conflict on few things like inflation, Uh, energy, uh, food and grain, and uh, basically commodities and precious metals. Let's start with inflation. What do you think about it?
0: Yeah. I mean, um, Ukraine and Russia, as mentioned, are not so much integrated in global manufacturing supply chains, but those countries are major suppliers of commodities. And commodities are the key transmission channel to the global economy. Of this conflict, so we have seen it initially. Energy prices skyrocketed. It was the spot rate which um, increased significantly. I think um, Brent oil traded at about 130 per barrel, and uh, also gases um, prices skyrocketed. As you mentioned in your last in the last section. Uh, it's not only energy, it's also food prices. So Ukraine is a major exporter of of wheat and maize. And these factors uh, are very much likely contributed to the rise in food prices. So we have the rise in energy prices and we have the rise in food prices. And both are... are significant parts of inflation in the in the west so as long as um energy prices and food prices keep increasing uh inflation will be high we shouldn't forget that inflation is measured on a year-over-year change basis which right. basically yeah. yeah that's that's the, a
1: good point yeah
0: please go uh, ahead yeah, which basically means that uh, energy and food prices have to keep increasing to keep inflation at a high level.
1: Mm-hmm. So I was looking at a few things which get impacted by what you rightly said a uh, few minutes ago. Look at this, what has created definitely immense human suffering, but it has basically damaged the global trade. You know, even the World Trade Organization has also warned. So the disruption in food supplies will have an impact on inflation and and financial markets. Beyond that, another adverse impact is on poor countries. It will have pretty bad consequences there. And as you could see, uh, WTO has downgraded its forecast for goods, import, and exports. And uh, they are requesting governments and partners to help facilitate trade because those Trade linkages are broken now. A lot of things are getting impacted. There is another factor which currently is impacting is not only the war, which was complex enough in the geopolitical equation, the COVID-19 lockdowns in China, they are also disrupting the trade. And, and, And the combination of two bases that The WTO is saying that the growth of merchandise trade in volumes will go down from 4.7% to 3%. That's a massive decline. You know, and, and you mentioned about the energy thing, food. Who compensates for if the food supply chain or supply lines are blocked? And uh, definitely one is the financial angle of it. Other is the survival angle of some of the places which depend on the supply from these countries. And uh, normally, as we were discussing in section one, (laughs) that the fundamentals of earnings and interest rates and economic data, that's what we used to look at Uh, for financial markets, how how they're going to be reflected and what's the future of financial markets. Now, this goes topsy-turvy because the equations which are coming up, they are very different. And some of these things, which you look at it, people have never heard of. You know, and... uh, Let's say, for example, if we had high inflation, which it looks like at this point of time, and the whole world was already worried about. So if the inflation happens, probably this will start impacting the spending power of people. And that can start dragging down the GDP. Is this conflict serious enough to trigger a long-term economic recession? Or this is kind of a short-term blimp. And whatever the major impacts are there, we have already seen. How do you see that?
0: Yes, these are very interesting points. I think um, there are two things to add here. First on all, of deglobalization. As you mentioned, it would be very bad for capital markets.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but deglobalization is not something, something which was particularly triggered by the Russia-Ukraine war. Russia only makes only up about 2% of the world trade. It already started after the great financial crisis. We saw some, some flattening in global trade um which which was triggered by by the big recession in 09. And this flattening continues now with the conflict of deglobalization. And that's not good for capital markets. The other point is is again whether this will trigger a recession. Um, we have to think about commodity prices. Commodity prices are high, which impacts consumer spending, but also in the, in light of the recent Fed hiking cycle, we have to see that the combination of high commodity prices and Fed hikes uh, is very likely to trigger some kind of downturn in the economy. Uh, whether it will be a recession or, or just a blimp, it's, it's hard to forecast, but in the past, high commodity prices and, and fair tax, these combinations have always led to recessions.
1: Yeah, that's good. And, and if you see, Sebastian, the U.S. government has been steadily increasing the interest rates also, which has been already causing inflation in the United States. And it has been at almost unprecedented rate, pretty high in U.S. And if you see that was caused only by the increase in interest rates, and if all of these put together start impacting, that could be a very difficult situation.
0: Yeah, very much true. I mean, they try; they're a bit behind the curve, the US Fed. They try to rein in inflation, which is caused by this supply bottlenecks and, and skyrocketing commodities um, with curtailing the demand side of the economy. I'm not sure whether this will work. Uh, but it's most likely to lead to some kind of recessionary phase and a downturn in capital markets.
1: And You know, Sebastian, if you look at it, just a hypothetical case, that we see the long-term impact of this conflict on Russian economy. Let's assume disaster for them. But the Russian economy, as a percentage of global economy, is not that high. So for the global GDP, say for example, to to get into a reduction mode, there could be multiple pieces which needs to get impacted. The worrisome point, especially for financial markets, are all the positives of last 10 to 20 years are turning negative, inflation high, uh, globalization, which was making the trade much easier, and uh, countries were trading with each other very nicely, and they were growing. And at the same time, the shift was a single mechanism, the whole world was connected. IT had connected them to make a business further smoother. <laughs> Everything which made the growth possible, now I'm excluding Russia in this case, was going in fear of rest of the world. So even if Russia gets impacted adversely, this whole thing if the other equations get broken down, can impact the rest of the world very adversely, and the impacts of the Russia-Ukraine conflict, human sufferings in Ukraine, financial suffering, economic suffering in Russia will not be contained only to these two. These moves can, can create some other geopolitical equations which can lead to the global financial markets getting impacted, the GDP is getting impacted, and many other countries getting impacted in the process. And already we are seeing uh, almost every country got impacted by COVID in the last two years. The timing of this issue and the impact thereby will get multiplied on anywhere you and I or the whole world likes to think about. And beyond that, the basic thread of globalization and one of the enablers, or rather I would say the most globalized probably was a financial market. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I fully agree. It's, at the moment, it's not looking that, that good. Um, that being said, I mean, we have to distinguish a bit um, who is getting Im- impacted, how. As you mentioned, um, developing economies get hit very hard with the food inflation. It's terrible, terrible thing. Um, but the U.S. itself is, is a very closed economy. We have to distinguish this a bit between a small open economy and a big closed economy. It's also also not great for the U.S., but still the impact will be probably negligible.
1: Mm -hmm. Great, Sebastian. Uh, Well, thank you so much. We need to take another short break and uh, we will continue our discussion in our segment four. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. And uh, we are having discussion with Sebastian on impact of Russia-Ukraine crisis on the financial markets. And in uh, past segments, we discussed that uh, the most globalized probably uh, are the financial markets. And this conflict has uh, uh, kind of indicated a lot of pain points which can hurt the rest of the world. One of them was what happens to the globalization? What happens to currency? What happens if there is a parallel market for not parallel market, but a parallel platform uh, is forced uh, by Russia. And uh, if anybody else supporting Russia on beyond swift. So the financial transaction can start there. It can start polarizing uh, into two different worlds how to deal it, what's the impact on inflation, uh, how the energy prices are getting impacted and how the food prices are moving. Sebastian, let's summarize that keeping in mind all these issues which you discussed in past three segments, what could be the future short-term and long-term of the financial markets?
0: Yes, that's a very interesting question. I believe that we are in a slowdown at the moment, that we are getting close to a recessionary phase. Um, We have discussed it. I mean, the one side, we have the conflict in Ukraine with the Russian aggression. On the other side, we have um, the deglobalization trend, the US Fed hiking. Those are all factors which impact the global economy negatively and which leads to kind of slowdown or recessionary phase um, in the future. Let's see. I mean, these are usually things which happen a couple of months months uh, ahead of us. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, see, if you, if you look at it, there, there has been a lot of crises which we have seen. You know, I, I agree with you. There could be a short-term impact, there could be long-term. And if you look at, let's say, equity losses, how they have happened in, in the past with the geopolitical events. And unfortunately, uh, geopolitical events, uh, they really impact. And uh, there is a trend, if you generalize, the lowest impact of any geopolitical event on uh, equity losses has been 2%. And the highest end has been 20%. And the median loss has been around 10%. And in all cases, somehow, well, rather in the median, I would say, the positive outcomes have come out after 12 months. Now, this geopolitical event has a very different dimension. Some of the markets, not all, are already backed to the pre-conflict level. So this geopolitical event did give a surprise, but markets recovered very quickly. Uh, if, you, if you go to some of the events, which has happened way back, even if you go back 78 years ago, till very recent ones, like when uh, Hungarian revolution happened and uh, when the Cuban Missile, Missile thing happened. So in Cuban Missile thing, the Immediate loss, capital loss was close to 11%. But one month later, it was positive. And 12 months later, it was up 26%. So the whole loss was recovered. So look at that. That was a big thing. And then uh, when uh, similar conflict or uh, affair happened in Soviet Union, going into Afghanistan, the immediate short term shock was minus 10.8. That was the total capital loss occurred but uh, within 12 months, the equity market had recovered 26.2%. That's a pretty big number. And uh, those are some of those things, including the terrorist attacks and 9-11 and all that. Out of all those, the markets did recover, but most of them could not impact very long term. Although, one thing I would like to highlight here, the 9-11, when it happened in U.S., it had a massive loss even a year from the event, almost 16 17%. The immediate loss was quite high. But even one year later, because initially you see uh, immediate shock. But in that case, it continued for quite a while. So, Basically, it looks like the global markets, uh, financial markets, capital markets, and if you see the equities, they seem to be quite resilient over a period of time. Now, can that be replicated this time? If you look at the current situation where, uh, as you rightly said, the conflict right now is contained, right? Then the impact can be minimized then the two countries will bear a lot of brand. But the long-term impact on these markets could be pretty profound if in case the energy equation across the globe changes or the energy equation, current equation, starts impacting the geopolitical equation within the NATO itself. Because like some of the European nations are very, very heavily dependent on Russia. I don't know what you think, uh, Sebastian, being in Europe, can some of these nations follow the guideline of not allowing payment transactions with Russia on SWIFT if their energy dependence is on Russia? Is that a possibility? Or they can find an alternate source of energy?
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, Russia already said that they might um, restrain the energy supply to Poland and Bulgaria. This was basically a threat against Germany. Personally, I'm not sure whether we can do it in the short term. In the medium term, it's of course possible.
1: So if, if that happens, so basically this, what this conflict can do if you look at which impacts the global financial markets is changing the geopolitical equations dramatically. As you said, alignment towards East for Russia. And second, if it remains only to that, that may not be as damaging as is if it fractures any of the geopolitical equations within the NATO because that has been one solid block. And until now, all the global crises which have come and impacted financial markets have been managed by them together because they were not impacting their homeland. They were maybe in Afghanistan or they maybe were in Iraq or they were putting sanctions in China, but there was no direct impact on, on countries like we, we just said about Poland and Bulgaria. Russia telling them not to supply them energy if, if they don't do the trade in what he wants, in ruble. And same thing, the major user probably are some other countries in Europe, and that can dramatically change the equation. Now, if that could be one scenario which can impact the market. Second could be uh, the impact on dollars as the standard currency. If by any chance the trade mechanism develops, And there is another transaction mechanism parallel to SWIFT. And third is, if the energy equation changes, that can impact the production capability of several countries if they were dependent on Russia. And then that can transfer uh, the manufacturing and many other things to the different aligned countries, probably with Russia. And Having said that, if if you were to ban SWIFT and make the rest of the world follow, there's another angle where a lot of countries have been in in, uh, arrangements with Russia for weapons. And if they're not allowed to deal through SWIFT or any other mechanism, their defense mechanism for their own country in terms of availability of parts and other things, that gets compromised. So that may make... Uh, many independent nations differently, so it looks like this situation has raised more questions and has made almost every country to do introspection. How should they behave? What should they do? How how they should sustain in future and what they should be careful about, and. Uh, uh, its impact on globalization, it can have a severe impact on the world trade, world economy, geopolitical equations, and in medium to long term, depending on how this unfolds in next few months, can impact the financial markets very heavily. Now, what can happen, it's not very easy to predict, but it is worth watching that how the new equations develop and how the impact of these new equations on the financial markets uh, comes to be seen. What do you think, uh, Sebastian? Now, unfortunately, we have run out of time on this very important subject. Uh, if you have any closing comments, I'll really appreciate that.
0: I think you summarized it very well. I fully agree. I mean, this com- uh, the current situation has many dimensions and the impact um, looks not good on the global economy. Um, whether the financial markets are already discounting this now or at some point in the next future, we will see.
1: Perfect. Thank you, Sebastian. Uh, fantastic discussion. I know we have uh, reached end of our time. Thank you for your uh, valuable insight.
0: You've been listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We hope you'll tune in for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a good week.